This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Oliver Yonchev is the COO of Flight Story. Together with Stephen Bartlett, they're launching a new business, helping build retail investor communities around great public companies. Oliver was previously managing director of Social Chain, a world-leading social media and e-commerce group. Within five years, the company grew from a startup to over $650 million in revenue, a public company, 850 plus people across 21 countries. Just a fascinating story. If what he accomplished with Social Chain was impressive to you, then trust me, you're going to want to stick around and listen to what he has to say about his new business, Flight Story. I'm not going to give this the big sell. I'm just going to say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Oliver Yanchev. Oliver Yonchev is the COO of Flight Story, co-founded alongside Stephen Bartlett. Flight Stories support companies as they prepare for public markets. Previously, Oliver was managing director of Social Chain, a world-leading social media and e-commerce agency group. Within just six years, the company grew from a small UK startup to 600 million plus, and they're also a public company operating across seven locations around the world. For almost a decade, Oliver has been at the forefront of digital marketing and creative services, supporting the management teams of the likes of Amazon, Apple, Coca-Cola, TikTok, Switch, Disney, Uber, just go down the list of some of the biggest companies in the world. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Oliver Yonchev, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Pleasure to be here. Super excited to have you on the show. Thank you very much for doing it. Let's start with your background in history before we get into all of the technical stuff. So you went from being a boy in Barnsley to running one of what is now one of the world's most influential social media agencies with a thousand employees and revenue of, of over 480 million. Did you have any idea that your career would turn out the way that it was when you had your degree from Huddersfield in 2012 in music? You know, when you frame the question like that, it almost sounds silly, me hearing that back, right? <laughs> right. No, yeah, absolutely no idea. I, I started my career with no idea that I was going to go into, a, into marketing, like a lot of people. Um, I was a failed indie rocker for years, went to university, had some marketing modules, fell in love with the psychology of marketing and influencing people and understanding how people think and feel and that led me down a career that I find enriching fulfilling and has ultimately changed my life I'd say just a little bit so what was it that attracted you to social media and marketing in the first place as, as you say it's just that sort of interest in human beings how they are why they do what they do we're just really funny creatures but what attracted you to social media and marketing it was less about social media and marketing specifically. As far as I'm concerned, social media is media. You know, all the data backs that up in terms of time spent. And my background post-education was working for a large media owner, more traditional radio, print publishing, online publications and such. And, um, you know, I knew that for me to be effective, I had to understand a world that was on the rise and that was social media. And from my perspective, that's what started my journey in, in seeking out companies that were really uh, stand out in that arena. And, and I happened to stumble upon Social Chain. So you started at Social Chain as a business director in 2016. Give us an idea of what the company looked like at that time. How many people were you? How many clients were you? What, what did the landscape kind of look like? Did you have any idea at that time that the company would become what it eventually has become, a cultural icon in many ways for agencies globally? Yeah, you know what? I, um, my, my journey to social chain was somewhat of an honest one. So um, like a lot of people, you have a bit of an entrepreneurial flair. I think uh, most people that enter a career always have ambitions to start businesses, or certainly a lot of people do. Um, I was one of those people. Uh, one day I'm scrolling down my newsfeed and I see a TED talk that's entitled How I Built a Multi-Million Dollar Business Knowing Nothing About Business. Click. Click, of course. Ultimate clickbait headline. 
I watched it and it was a talk. It was Stephen uh, Bartlett's TED Talk. I found it inspiring. And, and for me, I, I reached out to Steve at the time and just said, I admire what you're doing. I've started some of my own side hustles and entrepreneurial journeys uh, myself. And uh, he said, come, come talk to us. And so it was pure serendipity. It was, it was a moment he invited me in. And uh, I knew the company was special. So when I joined the business, it was about 30 people. Mm. And they just had, as a company, they had this enthusiasm. They had this, I would call somewhat of a delusional ambition or an inherent self-belief that existed within the walls of the organization. Um, and I thought it was refreshing. And for me, the, the way I would phrase social chain back at that time uh, it didn't have as a business the curse of knowledge. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is it, it was a business or an agency business that wasn't built by people who had ever worked in an agency. And that sounds crazy when you say it out loud. But to me, what that meant is they weren't limited in their beliefs. They didn't do things because of the way it should have been done. They thought about things differently. That doesn't mean it was a perfect picture. It was chaos at times. <laughs> but it was fundamentally a, a really interesting business. And I definitely knew there was something special. Once I got to know the team and the people there, um, although I was very happy in my career and I was on the cusp of doing my own thing, uh, I was convinced to join Social Chain and I knew it was special. And uh, my job when I joined was to help take all the special stuff, the, all, all the things that gave them advantages, uh, refine it and help them to scale. So talk us through from that moment in 2016 to becoming the managing director of Social Chain a few years later and setting up the US team and, and growing that. And also, if I were to back up a little bit, fly on the wall, none of us have worked in, in Social Chain, but observed the company from the outside for many, many years. And it's a phenomenal success story. Give us a flavor of, for those of us that weren't around or weren't working in, in the business at that time. Mm -hmm. What was the culture like? If you were to describe, if you were to bottle that, how would you describe what the feeling was like working in the business at that embryonic stage in, in sort of 2016? When I first joined, uh, there was almost this magical aura that sat within the world. Everybody, you've got to think the business was predominantly young. I was joining the business at 26 years old and I was one of the oldest people in the business right <laughs> I was the old guy in the office or certainly one of them right right and with that there's something about there's something about youth that has this almost audacity about it mm. there's an odd you know the belief that you can do anything um and that's what I found so appealing so I knew that you know from I wouldn't say consider myself an incredibly experienced individual at the time but I often say social chain um, was built by people that are wildly, and when I say wildly, this is certainly true of the early days, <laughs> people that were wildly not qualified to do the role that they were doing, mm. but incredibly capable. That was the point. And that's what I thought was enriching. There seemed to be no limits, no limits on the hiring policy. I think Steve very early on set a vision of, you know, we want the best people in the world to work for social chain. And we're gonna create an environment that is worthy of the best people in the world. We want young talent. We want people to have an amazing time. And I would say from the outside, a lot of people would see the cultural aspects, the initiatives like, you know, quite at the time, progressive thinking, unlimited holidays, dogs, ball pits, all the kind of vanity things that surrounded. But underpinning that was this severe ambition mm. And I would say a hell of a lot of hard work. It would look like fun and games from the outside, but as you and your audience know, um, building a business is hard, particularly a, a successful one, you know? So yeah. to me, that's what was special. Um, I thought it had a lot of people in a similar stage in their life, all working towards a central mission. And uh, Steve's a phenomenal leader who galvanized that. And, and that's what Social Chain was built on. So... Take us on a journey of how you became managing director and then tell us what the experience was like setting up the US team in 2018. Take us on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So the US was always a, a, an ambition of the business, even well before it should have been, right? 
very early stage, it was an ambition to set up in the US for a number of reasons. Um, strategic advantages, if you think about on a global level, that was really important. And then in 2018, I spoke to Steve and said, I'd like to go out to the US. And at this time, I was living in Barnsley, driving to Manchester every day. I would get up at 5 a.m., drive there, go to the gym, start work. My life was being consumed by social chain because I loved it. We were all working towards a, a central mission. The business was growing rapidly and, and the time was right to really invest in the US. And in May 2018, Steve moved out to New York. He made that his focus of attention. Um, and then a few months later, I joined him to start focus. And, and the thing is about the US, it was a really important personal experience for me, both professionally and personally. Uh, and it's, it presented a whole host of new challenges. And for me, the, the first one was, you know, this Manchester startup had the audacity to enter the biggest market in the world. Uh, and that to me was super appealing. Sure. Um, when we entered the US, we assumed we could replicate all the success we had in the UK. And if you, at the time, the UK, the world's biggest brands were knocking on social chain's door to work with social chain. Hmm. working new business in social chain back then was the easiest job on the planet because the amount of attention and the, the kind of clarity of proposition. I would say the ambiguity and intrigue of what social chain actually did, it, it was an advantage to the business. It almost superseded it. So your, your kind of presence entered the room before you guys did. Built this brand around social chain. Really fascinating. Absolutely. And, and the, the job then is to exceed expectations. You know, people would have love or loathe. People would have a very strong opinion of the business. Um, and I would say in the early days, we weren't great at clarifying or we didn't have a very clear uh, service proposition, but we had a very clear value proposition. You know, the world came to social chain because they wanted to do something interesting, creative, fun, outlandish, something that would break a record. Um, they didn't come to social chain to tick a box. Mm. And when we went to the US, we entered the market with the same audacity, the same confidence. And uh, we quickly realized that no one cared about us. <laughs> <laughs> the world's biggest brands did not knock on our door. Social who? And so it was social who. And fortunately for us, we had a really impressive body of work by this point. Mm. But we entered the US and people didn't want to know about what we had done in Europe or we'd done for, for, for UK clients, they wanted to know what we did in the US. And when you've done nothing, it's pretty hard to substantiate that. So a lot of late nights, a lot of hard work, I will say a lot of hustle went into those early stages. Mm. And what we had is we had the had advantage of hindsight. You know, it was very much a learn on the job type of culture up to this point. And um, we knew the things that we would do again. You know, what would we do faster if we looked back on the success of the UK? Um, and we, more importantly, we knew what we shouldn't do again, right? Whether that's hiring decisions, whether that's processes, systems. Um, so that gave us an advantage. So although I would say the challenge of entering the US market was, was a difficult one, it wasn't an overnight success. Um, we knew exactly what we needed to do. We had confidence and conviction in what that was. And once we gained momentum, we ran with it. And within about a year and a half, you know, we're supporting, we were punching above our weight in market. We're supporting Uber globally. We eventually went on to, you know, win TikTok and a multitude of facets in there. So the US actually became our most profitable part of our business within about a three-year period. Tell us what, what have you learned over the years about what it takes to create social campaigns and really influential campaigns that outperform the market for some of the biggest and most successful brands in the world give us the secret sauce i mean what what's involved in doing that for an uber a tiktok go down the list i think the first thing in, in terms of attracting the attention of big brands one of the biggest flaws i see agencies make is they don't practice what they preach if you think of social chain central mission um, we had a, an understanding that our job was to keep brands at the forefront of what's possible and what's possible today might be different tomorrow, but that was kind of a central function and that's what we wanted to be famous for. And our job was ultimately to make our clients famous. And if we didn't do that for ourselves, how hypocritical would we be? And I see so many businesses say, you know, we're the, one of the world's best web 
you know, UX design companies in the world and you look at their website and it's trash, <laughs> right? How can you claim to be the best at anything if you're not the hypocrisy that exists within, within the world? I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's staggering. Um, so for me, the first is being actually really good and focusing on your craft mm. and being the best and being uncompromising. We set a really high standard at Social Chain. And what I would say is in the early days, the brand of Social Chain far exceeded our capabilities, mm. but it gave us a foundation. By the time, you know, the last few years, I would say we lived up to our promise of being one of the best social media businesses on the planet. And of course, I am super biased. But we were phenomenal. We obsessed over the work. We obsessed over detail. We practiced radical candor within the walls of critiquing one another, making sure that we hold the work to the highest standard. Mm. And all these kind of undertones of how we operated the business led to the successes. And then when it comes to, I suppose, a bit more practically about what makes good social marketing today, I could speak for days on tactics. But for me, I think it's probably more important to talk about principles. Mm. And I think there are three things that remain unchanged. And this is probably universally true for the last five years. And the three things that I would cite is um, as a brand, as a business, your story has to change when the room changes. Um, and we would talk a lot several years ago about, you know, the biggest flaw we saw in social marketing was taking above the line, taking TV campaigns and just posting them on social media. And that's not how social media professionals operate today. Uh, I would say it's um, advanced and evolved a lot since then. But, you know, the story that I, if the, story, if the room requires you to speak in memes, you speak in memes. If the room requires you to be self-deprecating and funny, you be self-deprecating and funny with your brand story. And right. that, that's the point for me. I think that's the first principle. And that, that was true 10 years ago in the infancy of social media. Um, and I think that's as ever true today. Another thing I think is really important, uh, you hear the phrase, you know, um, considering culture and attaching yourself to culture. Mm. To me, that's a given, right? Culture is vast, varied. There is music culture, sport culture, popular culture, um, politics, everything has a cultural undertone to it. But what I think is really important is having the bravery in order to attach yourself to, to the relevant moments for you as a brand. So I think understanding culture is a, a really important thing. And then understanding how you apply that to whatever it is you do. And then the third thing I think is foundationally important to great social marketing for brands I think when you create anything in social media or you come up with a campaign or an individual asset, you should be thinking about distribution. You should have creative that has inbuilt distribution. And that means when you have a concept, think how that concept is shared. Think how that concept lives and how a creator or an influencer would tell that story or how that lives within a paid asset or how that's going to gain additional organic and earned reach all of these things should be factored into your creative ideation because algorithms change but i don't think these principles change as quickly you know i do want to talk about your new company flight story you've you've got a fascinating startup with stephen bartlett which we'll talk about in a moment just closing off the chapter on social chain as you think about the next chapter in the business's evolution what do you think the most effective next chapter looks like for the business? How do you see it evolving and changing as we as we move forward? Tell us what the most successful kind of next chapter in the business's evolution looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for social chain, um, creativity was an, a deep understanding of social environments and the nuances that exist within different social platforms have been part of the company since day one. So that remains true. I think from an evolution standpoint, an integration of more performance-based marketing efforts. And one of the acquisitions we made um, prior to me leaving the business, um, we, acqu we acquired a business called Mint Marketing in LA. Um, and they're phenomenal at paid search, email marketing, supporting a lot of high growth D2C commerce businesses. And I think that integration and that layering of performance marketing alongside great creative and great strategic thinking is what will continue to give the business more advantages. I think more broadly speaking in marketing, 
I think creative and strategic talent is going to be the currency that agencies and brands exchange uh, for maximum value. Because I think, as we said before, you know, so many different marketing choices that we have. And if we agree that we all have to be a bit more intentional, I think great thinkers and strategists are so important to helping a business be more intentional with how it is doing things and how it does things consistently. And then secondary to that, I think creativity was always a superpower. And I think it's more of a superpower today as we get more congested and in a world that's geared by algorithms and where data can predict all our future behaviors better than we probably can ourselves. I think creativity is that that magic wand that allows businesses to not just do what everyone else is doing, but do better. And you'll note a lot of businesses that we herald as kind of the gold standard of social marketing or marketing more broadly are creative at their core and think creatively and they remove creative barriers. So I I think that's going to be the battleground for agencies and brands in attracting great strategic thinkers and and great creative doers. So the creative is more important than than the data scientists within the agency? I am a romantic marketeer at heart. So um, pessimists would say that, you know what, I, I'll i be honest, right? I think because we have so many data points at our disposal, I think that can be more distracting than anything. Sure. I think the, the requirement to substantiate every single decision leads marketeers down an ineffective path. And I heard an analogy by a Google representative once and they were talking a little bit about how as marketeers we're always trying to connect every dot to paint the picture and in reality you don't need to know every dot to know what the picture is right and I thought that was a beautiful characterization of the modern marketing world we don't need every data point in order to be able to tell the correct story to the world I think the the sweet spot of marketing is the sweet spot of uh, science and art and, and meeting in the middle. So as much as I personally lean towards creative qualities, but I certainly have a deep appreciation for the insight that data can give us. Rory Sutherland says that if everyone uses logic and, and data to make decisions, then we'll all end up in the same place because we can all use data and we can all use logic, but it pretty much gets us to one specific answer and creativity or magic, as he calls it, we end up in completely different places, um, which it which it isn't always easy to kind of measure on measure on a spreadsheet. Absolutely, and let me let me tell you something. Just to add to that, that I think it's really pertinent. Is um, you know one of the advantages social chain did have was that it was born out of creating things on social media. It was a social publisher before it was a marketing agency. And the advantage of that was that anecdotally, the teams that were building the world's largest social media communities, they knew the answers. They knew what success looked like. So we could retrospectively work back from like a high performing piece of content for our clients. So this idea, if we'd have been guided by data, we'd have been doing the things that everyone else did. Data can be, you know, self-data, experience, knowledge, practitioner knowledge. And that's a lot where the art of what we do comes in. Let's talk a little bit about Flight Story. You're now launching a new startup, helping companies go public. Tell us about the business from your, your perspective. What does an ideal customer look like? What problems are you solving for them? Give us a 10,000 foot view. A 10,000 foot view, I like it. Um, So I'll I'll give you the context first and foremost. Um, You know, marketing, broadly speaking, has experienced a tremendous amount of change. Um, Communication has experienced change. Every single industry, um, every single service industry has experienced change. Um, And one of the, the interesting phenomenons we've seen is almost this democratization of everything. And a lot of that is powered by technology. A lot of that is powered by access. A lot of that has been powered by COVID, (laughs) you know, free time and an evolution in our behaviors. And one of the interesting things that we discovered last year, and it kind of came to a a real prominence in, in the public forum, was this idea that the public markets are being... Um, 
influenced by individuals online. And there's something really romantic about the idea of, you know, a 19-year-old in their bedroom that has, you know, has the intention to influence the internet and bring down an institution. And that came to, a, I suppose, a uh, public consciousness in the, in the Wall Street bets GameStop fiasco. And if you don't know, for, for the audience, if anyone doesn't know what happened there, effectively, a online uh, Reddit forum called Wall Street Bets and an individual decided that he liked a stock. He liked the stock ga- uh, GameStop. Uh, he felt it was undervalued. And he noticed that institutional investors were shorting their position. And that's something that is is the... Uh, you know, will drive the price of a stock down. He took it upon himself and built a community around GameStop to champion the stock and effectively move the price. But it didn't just move the price to what you could deem fair levels based on its fundamentals, how much money it makes, the opportunity. It moved the price to, in, in the space of weeks, from, you know, a market cap of around $250,000 to multitudes of billions of dollars within a couple of weeks. Um, what this did is this put a squeeze on the institutional investors and uh, the investors that were short in their positions actually lost a lot of money as a result. And one of them, I believe, went bankrupt. And um, what this basically meant that public companies were faced with a new challenge, um, a regulatory challenge for um, governing bodies to figure out, you know, <laughs> we, we have quite tight scrutiny in some areas. The internet is quite uh, uh, the Wild West at times. So how do we stop things like this happening? Because there are consequences to this type of behavior. Uh, The second then was companies had to look inwards and say, you know, us telling stories on the internet, us galvanizing uh, the power of individuals together can have serious consequence to our business. So we noticed all these macro factors coming together. Um, we looked at what we were really good at, being we you know know how to tell stories on the internet. Um, we know how to do that in really relevant ways. And we put two and two together to create Flight Story. And in a nutshell, Flight Story helped companies prepare for public markets, whether it relates to their communication, whether it relates to their staffing, whether it relates to the technology that is required for them to measure what they are doing and make sure what they're doing is successful. So all of these factors came together um, and we created Flight Story. So give us an idea of who these typical customers are. I mean, is there is there a typical type of company that is going public that that is more of a better fit for you um give us an idea of kind of what they were doing before or what they weren't doing as far as sort of telling their story and what is the value add now from flight story how are you helping them tell their story articulate that story Mm -hmm. and sort of build build that community yeah absolutely there are a number of things actually so first and foremost the number of companies that are going public as ex you know, increased exponentially for for a number of reasons, you know, retail trade and the volumes of people participating in investing has increased exponentially. And alongside that, companies that want to take advantage of this momentum um, and the forward momentum of the, the public markets, um, a lot more are choosing to go public as a form of raising capital. Um, I think if you look at the data, in the last two years alone, more companies have gone public in, than in the last sort of 15 years. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the vehicles that allow companies to do that. On one hand, there's a traditional IPO that um, companies are put under immense amount of scrutiny. It's an incredibly expensive process. It takes a long time. There's a hell of a lot of due diligence that goes into that, more broadly speaking. And then there's actually faster ways to going public. Which there are things like reverse IPOs. There are things like SPACs. So there are a number of vehicles which allow companies to embark on uh, a capital markets journey. Um, and it's fiercely competitive, right? The, the different um, markets all around the world are fighting for companies to join their stock exchange because it increases the value. Um, overall of of what they're accountable for. So on one hand, you've got a number of companies choosing to go public. So there's a lot more of them. And then on the other hand, you've got a lot of these companies that are from, say, STEM fields. um, They have engineering backgrounds. They're from sciences. They're from technology. Um, Being creative and communicating and building world-class marketing functions isn't a skill that sits within the walls of their organization. Because why would it? If you do, you know, um, you sell uh, 3D printing 
to a government institution that's the core fundamentals of your of your business you're an engineering business you um you know showing the world or telling the individual why 3d printing is paving a new industry how it's going to change medicine for the future how it's going to change the way that we um, operate more broadly speaking telling that story has never been important to you at all you've done sort of b2b sales but now as you embark on this new really important stage of your company's journey it suddenly is so um our background over the years we've hired uh, thousands of people within um marketing services i think the the soft skills and the tangible skills required to be highly effective at marketing today um aren't really uh, overtly obvious on a on a cv at times you know if you were a, the foremost authority who understands communities on discord and reddit and these these um you know new communication environments if you need to identify the talent and people required in that um you you're looking for different things right you're looking for for different skill sets as such so um that's effectively what flight story do so tell us what makes flight story and you guys specifically um what puts you in the position to be able to capture this new market emerging market opportunity right now because it sounds to me that what you're doing can be replicated by other agencies with other similar sorts of skill sets external sort of agencies uh, whether that's a combination of PR, creative, et cetera, go down the list. What makes Flight Story uniquely positioned to capture this opportunity? Yeah, and, and that's the million-dollar question, right, or billion-dollar question. Um, the same could be said, you know, when we, you know, when Social Chain first started, um, Social Chain was a, a social first agency in a highly uh, competitive uh, agency landscape and I, I think there's a few things that set the company apart um radical transparency and really clear values values what makes you an effective marketeer in a social dominated world um, i think we carry through a lot of that expertise in how to be really relevant in the current moment um, not being particularly romantic about how we used to do things be very forward-facing create cultures of experimentation um I think one of the things that I would say when we we uh, we're really focused on this time round is is being as customer centric as we can be. I think it's really important that we start to establish our own proprietary technology. That means that you know we can instill attribution models because you know measuring uh, you know what you are doing. And then measuring the impact that will have on a company's share price is a really complex uh, analysis piece, right? So a big part of our business model is providing technology stacks within organizations that allow them to do that. And we're in the process, we've been in the process for about four months now of building some of our own technology that feeds into that. And that's going to be a core uh, component and that'll be a, a core piece of what makes us somewhat unique um, the second is an obsession I would say the second thing is just an obsession with our craft a real deep nuanced understanding of these environments you can't go to a communication business today and they will give you a high they're unlikely to be able to give you the most impactful effective strategy that's authentic to engage with communities in Discord, in Reddit, in, in these environments that are highly influential within investor communities. So it's not to say anyone can't do it, but it's to say that, you know, you almost have to have the humility to know what you don't know, right? And I would say we have a, a clear obsession with deeply understanding the environments that we operate within. And then the third is the hindsight that we probably have with building a better service model. You know, we can all agree that um, digital channels are highly important to almost every type of business in some form. We can all agree that having a really compelling story and the ability to tell it, to tell it is highly important to a business. Um, yet, you know, if we outsource those two factors um, to outside parties, are you truly taking that seriously? And at the foundation of Flight Story's business model is building everything of value, whether that's hiring the staff, 
whether it's providing the processes, whether it's building the systems, it's building it within the walls of that organization. Um, so I think those three things coming together really do help us set us up for success. And what's the commercial model here? How, how do you make money? Two ways. First, the commercial model is we have retained services. Um, so we scope out a program based on, you know, uh, the the stage in which a company a company's public journey is. So if we join a business as they're preparing for public markets, there's a more extensive piece of foundational work that will go into that. So we may scope out an 18-month program that sees us deliver the various stages required to set them up for success and make ourselves redundant. Um, the second is we may join a company at a slightly later stage and, and, and be more tactical in our support and endeavors. So we have a retained service of, of varying uh, tenders. And then in terms of our success metric, how we really succeed is if we deliver on what we say. If we can help companies have successful listings, achieve their uh, market cap goals, to achieve their broader capital goals, whether that's trading volume, whether that's their share price, all the things that uh, are important to them. Um, if we can help them deliver on those goals, um, we we look, depending on the stage of the journey, we look to have an option-based bonus remuneration model. So their success is our success. And that's really where the, um, the, the root of the proposition, the service proposition starts, is we want to create a business where um, if we win or if our clients win and our partners win, ultimately Flight Story win. Um, and I think that's at the crux of, of truly delivering a customer first model as opposed to one that's more self-serving. And then just coming back to that point about what you've learned from Social Chain, because you guys have built a phenomenal business uh, in the past, there must be a ton of lessons that you, you're, you're now applying to Flight Story. What, what is it, in your opinion, you know, what have you learned from running Social Chain over the years that you're now applying directly to the, the growth of Flight Story? I think one of the biggest lessons we learned from social chain is finding the right types of people, culture scales. It's really important. The first 50 hires we make within Flight Story will be critical because that will will shape the, the outlook for what Flight Story looks like in five years, philosophically. Um, good people generally hire good people as well. Our business success is predicated. So a couple of things we're doing, we're obsessed the first 50 people that walk through our door we're conducting a lot of interviews this week alone you know i've conducted in excess of 25 interviews so yeah first and foremost i would just say the biggest learn that we've learned uh, that i personally learned from social chain was um great people around a shared vision do great things so that's at the foundation of what we're doing um other things i think are really important for us um maintaining that healthy ambition and what I mean by ambition is that shared ambition, bringing in people that, that want to go big. That's really important to us um, at the core of that. And then also, I, I think being crystal clear on what we want our outcomes to be when we're starting. We're very early on in this journey. Um, and I think I mentioned it to you before, you know, we've we've got some would argue audacious, if not delusional ambitions with how big we think this company can grow. Um, and I think it's really important to start there. And I think everybody that joins our organization, we want them to share that ambition. And look, our, our business model is, is predicated on um, us doing great things and impactful work. Um, and there's a lot of hypothesis. We can't lie. There's a lot of, you know, we're so, it's such a new market. It's such a new industry. There's things we think we can do and we're probably wrong, right? So time will tell. Lots of unknown unknowns. Many of those. There you go. I, I love your idea around sort of bringing in the the first 50 people are the most important for the for the business. And, and it's it's crucial that they are a players. How important is it as the company grows that everyone that you bring on board is an A player? You know, do we need to build a business where everyone is an A player? Is it even possible to do that? Uh, or are there certain positions where you don't need A players? Maybe B's and C's are are more acceptable. I'm just interested in, in your thought on that because obviously the first 50 people that you said are crucial. What about the rest of the organization as the as the business sort of sort of grows? Yeah, I, I think great teams outside of business are, are made up of complementary skill sets. They're made up of uh, diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds. 
Um, I would say, you know, do you need everyone to be like type A personality, crazy, ambitious, work themselves into the ground? It's really helpful early on in a business. It really is, you know, to have those people that have that momentum. Um, I can imagine when you have a hundred of those people all competing, it can create quite a toxic environment, right? So I think it's all about harmony and, and, and getting the balance. What you shouldn't compromise is on like your fundamentals of your business. Our criteria is, are you amazing at what you do? Are you phenomenal? Are you curious? Are you, you know, eager to do really well? We don't compromise on that. And then the second is the character. Like, are you of good character? Are you a nice person? Mm. Do you have good values? Do you work hard? If you get those two things, A, B, C, it doesn't really matter. Like, they're the boxes that we're trying to take. Amazing at what you do and you're a good person. And if we build an organization that is 95% plus people that are great at what they do, um, and have good character, I don't see how we can fail, right? <laughs> you can't go far wrong, definitely. Last question about Flight Story uh, before we go to our favorite questions at, at the end of the interview. What's the growth strategy of the business? You know, how do you think about bringing new clients on board? You know, what's your customer acquisition process? And then how do you think that will figure in the success or failure of how the business is built kind of moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's there's three core pieces to to flight stories business and this feeds it a little bit into the business strategy so um there's the work we do at a strategic advisory level and that's the core fundamentals and that's very immersed within a business for a significant period of time if the brief is you want us to move the market and have transformative impact on your business um that takes time it takes investment um it requires us to pull together the best people we can um, to to achieve that objective. The second part of, of, of what we do is then the, the supplementary companies that support. So part of Flight Stories business model is um, a buy and build. So we'll be investing in complementary service businesses that can plug in gaps should the companies we work with need. So these will be independent, self-sufficient businesses. But if you need a communication business, if you need a programmatic partner to support your efforts as it relates to your, your marketing efforts, we will offer that solution in the form of an independent company that sits within uh, our, our group holding. And then the third bit that I'm really excited about is we're building a media platform. Um, our media platform will effectively be, you know, where it doesn't matter what stage of your public journey you are on, whether you're Coca-Cola or you're about to IPO on a, a secondary market in 18 months time. Um, the ability to tell your story and to tell that to relevant people that may be interested in your company, um, that requirement still remains there. So where basically uh, in the process of building the platform that will form the foundations for our media network. So we have an advisory business, strategic advisory, that's very much consultancy. Um, and when you talk about the commercial model and how they work harmoniously together, you know, the, the, the service businesses that we bring under the group holdings, they will be independent and operate on their own functions. The advisory ultimately services those businesses. It drives a lot of business as a central point. And we're not talking, we don't need to work with 50 businesses a year to be tremendously successful. We need to work with, you know, a, a lot less. Mm, we can work with five to ten, a handful of businesses in order to deliver on those objectives. And then the third bit is as a new business entry point, our media platform um, will provide us a, an opportunity to have dialogues with a much broader range of companies, not necessarily the ones that will help at a strategic advisory level. So the idea is to build the foundations of a company um, that can do it all, but does it all incredibly well. Um, and look, as I said, crazy ambitions commercially, crazy ambitions operationally. Momentum, urgency, all things we're going to try and carry into this thing. Yeah, no, it's it's super exciting. Um, you know, the vision that you've built, the success that you've had previously um, and all the business lessons that you've taken on board, I, I think just sets you up really well for this new, this new venture. Super exciting and I, I look forward to seeing how it unfolds. Thank you very much for that. Let's jump into our favorite questions now. These are the questions that we ask all of our guests. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from that experience. Uh, okay, what have I learned? Dude, I'm an inherent failure. I failed at many things. I was a failed football player. I wanted to be a football player. That's all I wanted to do. 
didn't quite make that. I was a failed indie drummer. Uh, <laughs> but what, what I learned is um, I, I learned what I'm really good at. Through my failures, I learned what what my abilities are. And, and, and more importantly, I suppose I learned what I'm not good at. And mm. it's made me a better person today. <laughs> Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about business, growing businesses, social media, yeah, all the things that we've discussed. Uh, okay, business. Um, I'm shape my thinking, right? Uh, I'm going to sound like a, a kiss ass, but I'm going to say, Stephen, absolutely. Um, I thought you were going to say that. Absolutely. Uh, there's other people. What I would what I would say about Stephen is um, he holds a very high standard. He obsesses over detail. He's got this unwavering focus, and he's guided by principles that have been founded on a hell of a lot of self-reflection so that to me has has really helped shape often how i operate and he does that with empathy and that for me has been a big part and shaped how i'm thinking outside of that i would say i have some admiration and and certainly admire a lot of things about gary v i like that he's outlandish and he's willing to say the thing in the room that most people agree with but dare not say do i agree with everything of course not but I like the fact he's a polarizing figure. And then probably more at a macro level, business leader as I admire, I've mentioned Elon Musk. Just his ability to garner attention, I think is admirable. Tell us about some of your favorite books. What books have guided you on your business journey, fiction, nonfiction, whatever? So my business journey, very few books. I don't read books on business. I try and practice and learn, absorb. I watch a lot of things. I absorb culture. I spend a lot of time obsessing over. I ensure I curate my feeds with interesting people. My Twitter feed is everyone from crypto to philosophers to marketeers, people that I adamantly disagree with and agree with. I make sure my feed gives me, try and gives me balance. Um, Books I have read. I'm not the biggest reader, I'll be honest. Um, But what I will say, I like a book called The War of Art by Stephen uh, Pressfield, I think. Pressfield, brilliant book. Yeah, and and that, for me, that book's interesting. Um, It was written to help himself as a writer not procrastinate Mm. and and get over the kind of writer's block. But you can apply it to all aspects of life, and it's basically just thousands of situations where resistance and you procrastinate appears in your life. And it makes you pause and reflect. And it's a short book, but I would say that had an impact on my life. And then a really interesting book I did like is one by Aubrey Marcus called, I think it's called Seize the Day. Um, And it's basically the story of creating, we're all pursuing the perfect life. But if you can't create a single day that's perfect, so it goes down a journey of what's your perfect morning routine, what's your perfect relationship, what's your perfect uh, working day look like, and the idea is if at the back of at the end of that read, if you can go away with one thing that basically forms a habit for the rest of your life, you'll have a much more, you know, interesting, fulfilling life. And I, I think there's some real good takeaways in that book. That's a great suggestion. Seize the day. Okay. I'm going to add that to my very long Amazon reading list. Um, it might not be called Seize the Day, by the way, but it's an Aubrey Marcus book. All right. You'll have to send me something after yeah, <laughs> all right. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, what's the most interesting thing that people don't know about your background? Mm, most interesting. So I have two big passions uh, outside of work. I think it's really important to care about things that aren't your professional life. Uh, I do a lot of kickboxing and boxing. Mm. Um, there's nothing... Uh, Southpaw, orthodox? Uh, I am orthodox. Okay. Um, not so. I'm not. I'm not probably coordinated enough to be uh, a tricky, <laughs> a tricky southpaw. Right. Right. Um, but that's one thing. Big passion of mine. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. And then outside of that, I used to be a musician in a past life. So before my my uni days, I did some cool things with indie drummer. Indie drummer. I played Glastonbury a few times, toured, really? those types of things. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Who did you play with? Uh, I played with a band called Glass Youth, um, and it was so funny. We 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 ended up the the people we supported at the time are, are, all went on to be super superstars, and we didn't. But we had a lot of fun along the way at sixteen years old. So, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, you have in other in other areas. Really interesting. Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming that's good? 
great question. So Amazon Prime for movies, um, Netflix, although Netflix's movie drops lately have been pretty good. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm leaning more Netflix. Yeah. Okay. What, what have you, what have you seen recently that's good? It's not actually on Netflix, but I started relatively recently watching Succession. Yeah, and I'm going to sound like a psychopath, but I I love The Wired, Sopranos, you know, yeah. uh, Mad Men. I'm Mad Men less of a psychopath, but yeah, the <laughs> classics. Definitely love it. Um, okay, last couple of questions, and then I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who comes to you and asks you for advice? to start their career in an agency? What I would say is use your youth to your advantage. Being young in today's modern marketing environment is a superpower. Understanding how young people think, knowing what's happening in culture, being a practitioner, being a user, being the market or audience every brand wants to associate themselves with to be cool. Mm -hmm. You have advantages in doing that. And my final question, Oliver, what is it you know about growing social and digital agencies today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? What's one? There's probably a few things, but I would say I'm going to have to default to great people. A great organization is simply made up of great people. And I think good people or great people will make your business. So look after the good ones and be uncompromising and cut the bad ones great place to end Oliver thank you so much for doing this yeah no problem appreciate the time brother we have been speaking with Oliver Yonchev he is currently the co-founder at Flight Story if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 150 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in the agency space thank you for all of your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Deal Masters.